The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. And let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. I want to do, the title of the message is Renewing the Mind, and it really is a part two of the message I started last week. And there's so much here in this one story. It's about Jesus going on the top of the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And literally, it's the only time that it happened in the Gospels where Jesus was transfigured, glorified. Basically, he let them see who he really was. Now, this is after Peter has just made his confession. Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? Peter said, we know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's a divine revelation. And by the way, that's true of you and me. Any of us here today who know who Jesus really is, his character and and where he is from and who he is, and you've received him as your personal Lord and Savior, it was revealed to you. It's not because you're so smart and cute and funny, but you, you, you were revealed, and that's a great privilege and honor. So let's bow our heads and pray for the Lord to speak. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today, and I thank you for those who are here, especially today, to hear this message, and especially knowing where we're going to end up uh, at the end of the message and what we're going to be standing for and praying for that fits this message for such a time as this. It is no coincidence that those who are listening to this message are going to hear your word and this story. And Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church today. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and ask all these things and everyone said, amen. Okay, so we're going to go back a little bit to verses 1 and 2. And I want to just note this, we've got several or handful of life lessons. So here's the first one, Jesus' second coming, which I believe the transfiguration is a picture of. Jesus' second coming will be in two stages. So chapter 17, verse 1 says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, Greek word metamorphosis before them. And so this is what that means. His face shone like the sun. It's uh, a natural image. But again, everything in nature has a spiritual supernatural corollary. The natural realm is not unrelated to the supernatural realm. Uh, It is a mirror of it for those who have eyes of faith to see. So, you know, you've seen the sun and at noon, when it's burning bright on a beautiful day, that's, it was like that, but he's using natural language to describe something that's supernatural. So his face was shining like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So we talked about how this uh, pattern of six days, and then basically on the seventh, Jesus is transfigured, Uh, to the disciples became a pattern, we believe, of when the second coming glory of the Lord and his kingdom will come. That there will be six days 
and those six days equal 6,000 years. So for those who weren't here last week, uh, I'll give you the scripture, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. By the way, Peter was one of the three in this story. And Peter writes in his second letter, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, a day, this is in the spiritual realm, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So it, what's, what the early church fathers also interpreted was that human uh, life and existence would go for six days or 6,000 years. And then at the, at the end of 6,000 years of human, hist human history, the seventh day would be the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And it will be one day, which is 1,000 years. And you read the book of Revelation, that's exactly how long it says the millennial kingdom where Jesus rules and reigns on earth will be. And after that, he creates a new heavens and a new earth. By the way, uh, there is a verse in the Bible that says God has uh, told us the end from the very beginning. So there are others who say that the, the very first you know, paragraphs of the Bible where God created the heavens and the earth and everything that can be created in the physical, natural realm was made in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. So they even see in, a, in the pattern of creation week, a pattern of the coming of the kingdom of the Lord. So last week we talked about we're very close to the end. I mean, we're in 2019. And I mentioned last week how that Jesus, we believe, was probably not born in the year zero on our calendar, but probably more closer to 4 BC because Herod the Great uh, was at 4 BC. So it means Jesus began his first ministry when he was 30 years of age, but that would have been around 26 AD. What I'm saying is that that anniversary would be coming up at 2026. So we're living in a very interesting time. But I want to also say that the first coming of Christ 2,000 years ago came in two stages. The first stage was relatively quiet. Um, so, you know, here's a picture from the movie The Nativity. And there's Mary and Joseph, and there's the baby Jesus. And, you know, we're, we know the story. We just celebrated Christmas together. Um, but think about it. God gave over 300 prophecies he basically was giving a 300-line address to the very little town of Bethlehem, family of David, tribe of Judah, and even when it would happen, but when, and this is God coming to planet Earth, incarnation, and, and yet, where was everybody? You would think that there would be the nations there, kings there, the world would be there. But there were, you know, the angels were able to break through, and then there's a couple of shepherds nearby in Bethlehem, and they told them, and then later some magi came, but it was relatively quiet and in secret, all right? So he, he, a few people knew about it. That was how his first coming began. But then here's how it ended. 33 years later, Jesus came on uh, the 10th of Nisan, we, we actually, I don't know if you knew this or not, we call it Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is, is on a specific day in the Jewish calendar. It's called the 10th of the month of Nisan. It's just days before the Passover. And guess, and that was the day, the 10th of Nisan, that Jesus rode on the little donkey and, every, you know, people, palm branches, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did you know that for the Jewish people, 
It was a specific day. It was called Lamb Selection Day, the 10th of Nisan. That's when all the Jewish people, the whole nation had to be there. And that was the day you picked your lamb. It was without spot or blemish. So that a few days later, you could have Passover. How interesting. (laughs) And not a coincidence, but by divine design, that on the day that was Lamb Selection Day, God put his son on a little donkey at the time of Passover when the whole nation of the Jewish people had to be in Jerusalem up on top of the Mount of Olives so that the whole nation could see him very, very publicly. And God was saying, select my lamb. As John the Baptist has said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What I'm saying is, that while Jesus' first stage of his first coming was relatively quiet and the little manger scene in Bethlehem, the end was very dramatic. It doesn't get any more public than on the week of Passover when the whole nation is there and you're sitting on the Mount of Olives and the whole country can see you. I want to tell you then that his second coming, which I believe is very soon, will also be in two stages, just as he did in the first. He is coming first secretly. In fact, Jesus described the first stage of his second coming this way. I'm coming like a thief in the night. A thief comes basically so that other people don't really know what's going on. Had you known when the thief would come, you would be watching, you would be ready. Jesus said, but the world will be asleep. They won't know it. And I believe that this first coming is going to be Many, most of the world will not know what happened until after it's too late. And it's called the rapture. The saints are going to meet the Lord in the air. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. But I want to add to you, many times maybe you've heard sermons about the rapture or whatever. But did you know, I don't think the whole world is going to hear that shout. Only believers will hear the shout. And the shout is in the Jewish, you know, wedding of a bridegroom shouting, I'm coming for my bride. But only those who are believers will hear the shout. Only believers will hear the voice of the archangel. Only believers will hear the sound of a trumpet. Only believers will in a moment in the twinkling of an eye be caught up. And the rest of the world will go, what was that all about? They really won't know kind of what hit them. But then... After a seven-year tribulation, Jesus will come in the second stage of the second coming, and it will be public. The whole world will see him. Revelation chapter 1 says every eye will see him. Revelation chapter 19 also says, and every eye shall see him. He'll be seated upon a white horse with the armies of heaven, and heaven coming to the earth. Amen? Can't wait for that. Hallelujah. So two stages. So what I want to say, I want to ask a question. Having explained that to you, where are we? We're kind of somewhere near very, very much the end of the, not only the 6,000 years, but the last 2,000 years. And the next event, I believe, on God's calendar is this kind of secret thief in the night coming in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And most of the world is not ready. They're not prepared. They have no idea what's going to happen until after it happens. And then, believe me, after it happens, The world goes into chaos like the birth pangs of a woman as it gets ready for the second coming of the Lord. So I have a question to ask you this morning. Are you ready for that first stage of the second coming? Really ready? 
Because it's going to, he said, you don't know the day or the hour, but you're going to know the seasons. You're going to know the times. And if you wait until after it happens to try to jump in, it's too late. You got to go a whole nother path. So you have to be ready, the Bible says, now. Today is the day of salvation. It never says get saved tomorrow. It always says today, if you hear his voice, be ready. Are you ready? And I ask you that, and I, I believe you, or you clap, you say, yes, I'm ready. But is our, is our world ready? Is our generation ready? Is our country ready? Is your family ready? Because man, it's gonna come. And it, the world will never be the same. And in fact, they get catapulted into things that Jesus said that unless those last days that are left after the rapture are shortened, no flesh would survive. You, really, you hear what I'm saying? He says they would wipe everybody out. You know that we have enough nuclear weapons right now that we could destroy every last living person of the 7 billion people on this planet about 26 times. So we are living in a very, and a very, how many would agree, a very rocky world and a very rocky time with crazy people sometimes in charge of great weapons and so forth. So the message is you got to be ready now so that whenever it happens, you're not left out, left behind, uh, or having to prepare later. Okay, let's go on to the next one. I want to just talk for a moment about the prophecy concerning Israel's resurrection on the third day. I don't know if you even knew that there was a prophecy about the resurrection, not only of Jesus, but there is a Bible prophecy about the resurrection of a nation that is in the Scriptures. And it's found in the prophet Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this out loud. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. So I've got that in your notes. I've got that up here on the screen. I want you to notice uh, the plural pronouns here. Um, Come, let us return to the Lord. Uh, He's torn, but he will heal us. Yes, he is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. That is specifically speaking of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And again, as in the pattern of, you know, the the transfiguration, six days is like 6,000 years to the millennium. So when it says here, after two days... I believe it's speaking about after two days of the Jewish nation being dead. Now, look, the the nation of Israel was here. The last time the nation of Israel was here was 2,000 years ago in Jesus' generation. But Jesus prophesied on Palm Sunday as he's coming down on the little donkey. Halfway down, he starts weeping and crying. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you had only known the day and time of thy visitation but you do not know how I wish I could gather you and protect you and put my arms around you, but you would not receive me or listen. And then he said, that temple, not one stone shall be left on top of another. And did you know that, so we have the prediction, we have the prophecy of Jesus on Palm Sunday, which we know is even the date of it. 
And, and then about 40 years later, on 70 AD, this is not just in the Bible, this is in history. We, not only did the Romans come in and destroy Jerusalem, they tore down the temple and they used the Roman army to make sure that to this very day, when we go in May to Jerusalem and we go up on the Temple Mount, not one stone from the temple is left on top of it. They pushed all the stones over the edge that where they crack below, and you can, there they are. So from 70 AD, there was no Jewish nation for two days. A day is with the Lord as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. But Hosea prophesied that God's gonna do something that has never happened to any other people or any other nation in the history of the human race. A people who lost their homeland for two days or 2,000 years, God says, I'm gonna resurrect it on the third day. The prophet Isaiah says, can a nation even be born in a day? Well, in ancient times, it couldn't be born in a day. But guess what? In modern times, it can, because there was this thing created not that long ago, historically speaking, called the United Nations, formed after World War II. And the United Nations voted, and we even know the day that an a nation that had been dead for 2,000 years was recreated, May 14th, 1948. Our president at the time was Harry S. Truman. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Harry S. Truman, all of his cabinet, all of his advisors, all of the people that surrounded him and gave him counsel, counsel said, whatever you do, do not vote yes for the partition of a new uh, state for Israel. We'll get in trouble, could start a war, nobody will like it, our friends won't like it. Uh, we, we have oil relations with some of these countries. There's not one good reason why you should do this. Everybody said, don't do it. But what they didn't know is that Harry Truman had a mom who believed in God and who believed in the Bible and had told her son and planted a seed deep in his mind, son, there, I don't know everything about it, but I know this, God said, if you know, to Abraham, if you bless my people, you will be blessed, but if you curse my people, you will be cursed. If you ever get in a position to do something to bless uh, the Jewish people, you better do it. It'll be on account before you when you go before God. And Harry Truman prayed about it, wrestled with it, thought about it, listened to everybody telling him no, and he said, you know what? I gotta vote yes. I can't let this date pass me and then stand before God and say that I voted, so he voted for it. And not only did he vote for it, he called all of our friends and other nations and said, hey, America, you like us? You like doing business with us? Then you need to vote for this thing that we got. Okay, okay. So they voted for it, and on that day, it was voted. That's God. We serve an amazing God. So it literally happened. But here, think about this. So Israel, this, a lot of people don't go to church and hear stuff about the Bible and prophecy, right? But the whole world knows about Israel that was dead for 2,000 years. Everybody knows that. And then on the third day, here they are again alive. Here's what's interesting. The nation of Israel that was dead for two days and resurrected on the third day, the beginning of the third day, is a mirror of the Messiah himself, who also was crucified and dead for two days. And then on the beginning of the third day, he resurrected. So on one hand, the nation of Israel is a mirror of the Messiah. On the other hand, the Messiah is a mirror of Israel, and God is able to speak to the whole world in such an amazing and interesting way. Okay, let's go on to the next life lesson. The transfiguration is a literal event with an important prophetic lesson. All right, so we talked about this, the shadow of Christ appearing after six prophetic days, which are 6,000 years. 
And what I want you to notice is in the prophetic interpretation of this passage, we see Jesus coming in the clouds at the top of the mountain, showing his glory, not to everybody, but only to three disciples. I believe that beginning is the type of the rapture. We're not everybody, but some that are in, some that are included, that's a picture of the rapture. And then immediately after this rapture, Elijah and Moses come down to the earth and join Jesus and Peter, James, and John, but they're now on the earth. And I believe these are very possibly the two witnesses who will appear in Jerusalem in the last days. I don't know if you have read the book of Revelation lately, but Revelation chapter 11 kind of outlines uh, what the end, how you'll know if you're in the end times like this. Israel will have to become a nation again, number one. Number two, there have to be a lot of trouble about Jerusalem, and it will be like a burdensome stone. The nations of the world will not be able to, how do we make peace? How do we make everybody happy? How do we make this thing right? And it'll be like a heavy stone that nobody knows what to do. And then finally, it says that somebody will be able to make a, a craft, a covenant of peace uh, for seven years, but it'll only last for three and a half years. And in the middle of it, it will fall apart. Is that hard to imagine a peace treaty between Israel and your neighbors falling apart? I don't think so. It's kind of like what's always happened, going to happen again, but this will be the last time. But interestingly, in Revelation chapter 11, in the middle of that seven years, God sends two witnesses to Israel, to Jerusalem, and for three and a half years, they preach that Jesus of Nazareth was and is and forever will be the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah. They not only say that, and they're Jews, and, they're lit and I believe they literally will be Moses and Elijah. In fact, those two witnesses do things not only verbally, but with signs and wonders and bring judgments to the world and the nations, and nobody can get them, and nobody can do anything about it, and they just keep... How many believe that two Jewish guys preaching that Jesus is the guy in Jerusalem could create quite a kerfuffle. And eventually it says that this guy that made the peace thing called the Antichrist, he finally gets them and they finally kill them. Now they've been doing judgments and fire. The very things that happened with Moses and Elijah, fire from heaven and judgments and like the plagues, like Moses, that's what happens around these two guys. They finally get them and they kill them and the, the revelation says the whole world will watch as they are put to death. And then, because they want them dead, they don't like what they're saying. They don't like their message. And when they're dead, it says the world is relieved and they're so excited and happy, they give gifts to one another, kind of like it's Christmas. Now, you know, even 100 years ago, you could not have had uh, such a public event seen by 7 billion people. But today... With your little iPhone, you could watch it. and Yeah, woohoo! those two weirdo end time prophet guys are dead. And there they are. But then Revelation says they're watching them for several days. And after three and a half days, those two witnesses pop back to life. On live, on camera, the world says, hey, that guy just opened his eyes. And then on the three and a half days, and they open their eyes, and then they stand up, and then very slowly, they start lifting, and they ascend, and they disappear into heaven. Woo! Does that raise the hair on the back of your neck or what? 
And that, I believe, is what signals the last three and a half years. There's war in heaven. In Revelation 12, the devil gets kicked out of heaven. He's been able to accuse us, the accuser of the brethren. He gets kicked out. God says, I heard you enough. You're done. Out. So the devil literally is pinned and only on the earth. He comes and goes, but at Revelation 12, at the middle of the thing, he comes down and he's permanently, personally here with his guy, the Antichrist, his false prophet, kind of like an unholy trinity. And for the next three and a half years, it's literally hell on earth. You want to avoid it at all possible if you can. In Jesus' name, amen? amen. So it's very interesting. Uh, this is a transfiguration, is a literal event, but it's got an important prophetic lesson. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Jesus shares his glory with us. Um, now, this is interesting. So we're talking about Jesus being transfigured, but last week I shared with you 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transfigured, same Greek word metamorphosis, as we behold his glory from glory to glory. And I suggested to you that the mirror that you look into and don't see yourself but the mirror you look into and see Jesus more and more clearly is none other than the Bible or the Word of God. Well, here's something interesting in the, uh, John 17. You, you guys know the Lord's Prayer that he gave to us, you know, our Father who art in heaven. But there's another prayer in John 17. It is the longest uh, verbatim prayer of Jesus anywhere in the four Gospels. If you've ever wondered, wonder, wonder how Jesus really prayed. He taught us how to pray, but how did he pray? Read John 17. 17. And in John 17, verse 22, let's read this out loud together. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Wow. Let that sink in. The glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one, our word for the year is unity, just as, Father, we are one. Jesus is sharing something in his prayer. Now, I, I, I'm just going to take a minute to kind of put a seed inside of you that the Lord's been planting in me, but it's not just for me. I'm going to plant it in you. Sometimes God will put a thought inside of me, and he says it's going to take, you know, months or years for this to really unfold, for you to get the full impact of what I'm planting. But that's what, I, that's what God has planted this seed in me, and now I'm, I'm planting that seed in you, and it's going to be unfolding in the days to come. You ready? Here it is. So the first thing that, that when God loves us and he reaches out to us, uh, the first one that reaches us of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always trying to grab your attention and get you to look at Jesus. He never really talks about himself. The Holy Spirit, it, he doesn't draw you to him and what, you know, power and signs and wonders and all of that, though he does those, but all of that he does is to draw our eyes and our hearts. He's always leading us to Jesus, always coming to Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus was buried for you. Jesus bore your sins. Jesus has arisen. Jesus wants by the Spirit to come live inside of you. The Holy Spirit's just nothing but all about Jesus. 
And then interesting, so you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, begin developing this relationship and intimacy. Oh, my Savior, you're my shepherd. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You are my light. You are my salvation. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Hallelujah, Jesus. But once you get to Jesus, the journey does not stop there. Then Jesus All he wants to talk about is, okay, yeah, that's who I am. I'm glad you know me. Yeah, we're really close, intimate, Savior, Lord. But guess what? Now I'm going to take you to the next part of the journey. I want to meet, I want you to meet my dad. I want you to have the same kind of intimacy and relationship with my father who is now our father. The same glory that I've received that is now from the father, I'm giving it to you so you can be one and know the father. So a big part of growing spiritually is from the Holy Spirit and then to Jesus and then from Jesus to the Father. And this is really something very powerful. So look with me in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's read this out loud. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I don't have it circled there on these notes, but I, I do on mine. So I want you to circle or underline the word transformed. And I'll give you one guess as to what that Greek word is. It's the same Greek word that's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're transformed from glory to glory. It's the same Greek word metamorphos that is in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, that Jesus was transfigured. And now that word's not being used about Jesus That word's being used about you and me. You and I are transformed, or if you will, transfigured from glory to glory, more and more like Jesus by, underline it, the renewing of your mind. How many of you would agree? I mean, now, you know, I'm just as attached as everybody else is to your little devices, and there's so much information. It's overwhelming and a lot of bad news. Uh, and a lot of stuff that you really didn't, I, wasn't, I don't want that, or I didn't look for that, or I didn't ask for that. And there's a lot of worthlessness and stuff that is there. How many, would, would you agree with me on that? So how much do we need to have our minds washed and cleansed by the rivers of living water and by the Spirit and what is true and what is honest and what is loving and gracious and kingdom minded from the Holy Spirit. That's why it says here, that's how we're transformed. That's how we're transfigured. That's how we're changed by the renewing of your mind. We must take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ and then wash your mind, meditate upon and into the word of God. All right, let's go to uh, verses three through eight and and read the next part of the story here. It says in verse three, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. That's the voice of God the Father. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. 
The fact that Moses and Elijah are here on the mountain is very significant. Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. What's interesting is that um, Moses, his life is a great picture of the law. You know, when, when Moses led the children of Israel out on the night of Passover and then through the wilderness, and it was the only generation you could literally see God. There were no atheists among the Jewish people for 40 years. Because you can say, you know, where's God? Well, he's right there. There's cloud. Uh, yeah, the pillar of fire, there he is. Everybody knew there was God. They could rebel against him, but they couldn't deny that he existed or that he was there. So Moses led them all the way through and then right up to the edge of the promised land. And he stood on Mount Nebo, which we will do when we go to Israel in May. We're going to those that go to uh, Jordan. And it's this tremendous mountain. And you see the, all of the land of promise, the land flowing of milk and honey. And he's right at the edge but then God says to Moses, but Moses, you can't go in. After all the drama, after all the miracles, after all your great leadership, after the receiving of the law, through the wilderness, you get to see it, but you can't go into it. Why? Because he got mad, he hit the rock and smote it twice, and God said, you misrepresented me. You made me look angry at the people. I'm not, I'll forgive them. And Moses, you can't go in. Oh, and so Moses had to die, and he is buried there. There's some mystery surrounding that where he was buried even. But it's very sad. Wow, Moses, after all of that, he doesn't get to go in. But guess what? In our story, Matthew chapter 17, on the mountain where there is Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, guess where that mountain is? It's in the promised land. And guess where Moses is? He's in, finally, the promised land. But how did he get there? Through Jesus. He is, a, as a man, is a great picture of the law. It can bring you right and wrong. It can bring you right up to the edge of salvation, but it can't bring you in. But Jesus can bring you in. Can I hear an amen on that? So that's uh, Moses. But then there's another character, Elijah. He's also there. Elijah was a prophet, amazing prophet. And he never did taste death, but we are told that he was caught up to the heavens in a chariot of fire, a real UFO, if I might say. It was a chariot of fire that God brought to him and took him up into heaven. And did you know then that God prophesied in the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, but before the great day of the coming kingdom, God will send Elijah. So the same Elijah that never died and then went in a fiery chariot up into heaven, to this day, they're still waiting because he has to come. Elijah must come before the great day of the Lord. So in every Jewish home that has a Passover Seder around the world every year in the spring, every family will have a, a cup, they call the, the Elijah cup, and they have a chair that's for Elijah and nobody's supposed to sit in it. And what they're doing is literally every family is saying, we believe that Elijah will come. So we have a chair waiting for him. And when Elijah comes, then we'll know that the Lord and his kingdom are coming. Well, here's what's interesting. I think we're very, very close to the second coming of the Lord. Someday, some old prophet looking guy is going to come up and sit in the chair and smile and go, here I am. <laughs> He's going to come. Now, when Peter saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the glory, he said, wow, let's build three tabernacles and stay here. And a lot of commentaries will make fun 
of Peter, like, oh, he's clueless, he doesn't get what's going on or whatever. Actually, he was being a very good religious Jew who believed that when the kingdom comes and God manifests his glory, that will be fulfilled in the Feast of Tabernacles, and that's where you build booths, and that's where God dwells with men. He was right about that. The only thing he wasn't right about is the timing, because that part of the kingdom is going to come in the second coming. That's why the Father lovingly corrected Peter and said, listen to my son. Peter's the one who denied, you don't go to the cross. And Jesus, no, I am going to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. So the father was saying, listen to my son. Right now, he's come for the purpose of going to the cross. So the, the suffering must come first. So I want you to look at this, the last life lesson. We'll close with verses 9 through 13. Jesus reveals the divine order is first the suffering and then the glory. Beginning of verse 9, it says, now as they came down from the mountain... Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, why then do the, the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So, you know, while it was disappointing to them uh, that, you know, Jesus' kingdom is not coming now, Jesus uses it as a teaching moment about the coming kingdom. He's basically saying to them, look, yes, my glory is coming and you just saw it. My kingdom is coming, my power is coming, heaven is coming to the earth. But first, first, I must suffer. In other words, there must come the cross before the crown. And may I add, in our own discipleship, walking with the Lord, sometimes God allows us certain suffering as we go through in order that he, we may be, he, he doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. Just like you, you refine with fire, he purifies us so that we're ready to handle when his glory comes and when he does all that he's going to do in using us in the kingdom. So Jesus reveals the divine order is first the suffering and then the glory. So the picture of the two missions of the Messiah, first he will come and lay down his life and then he will come to rule and reign. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so let's close our Bibles for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.